When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Florida's capital city isn't Jacksonville, Miami, or Orlando. The state is actually run from the sleepy and comparatively small city of Tallahassee in the northwest corner of Florida. Flying into Tallahassee, all you see is green. The sea of jungle is disrupted only by a few white buildings dotted around empty roads. The tallest structure in the city is the state's capitol building, where the local senate Congress and Governor decide Florida's laws. The Capitol, or what Brits would call the Parliament, is a 1970s construction, whitewashed and towering over other administrative buildings. It was inside the Capitol where I met Pam Olson. Pam is a short and feisty lady full of passion and flair. People really like me or they really hate me too because I will speak the truth, you know, so I don't think he cares what people think about him. He's going to do the right thing, and thank God for a leader like that. As a religious leader, she has prayed with Florida's governors for nearly 30 years. However, there is one in particular who stands out for Pam. If you could rate Ron DeSantis, how would you rate him? He is a 10. He is an amazing governor. Pam believes the upcoming U.S. midterm elections are crucial for the future of her country. In my perspective, we are in in a battle between the forces of good and evil. And um, he's not afraid to run to the battle to fight for what's right and to fight for the families of Florida. And I think that's really important. He has a faith-based initiative office. This is the first governor that's had the actual office as a leader of faith to be. It's it's one of the things that are to um, empower and enable and have the faith community work with government and to, be, to remove a lot of the red tape. Well, thank God we have the faith community helping. Look at the crisis with the hurricane. And so that's been amazing. On the 8th of November, Americans will go to the polls for the midterm elections deciding on who controls the House and the Senate, as well as voting for governors and other local officials. My name is Stephen Edgington, and I'm a reporter from The Daily Telegraph. In this second episode of The Red Wave, I'll find out how Ron DeSantis earned his reputation as a firebrand governor, whether he'll win his re-election campaign this November, and investigate the ongoing fight for the future of the Republican Party. First, I wanted to learn more about Ron DeSantis' background and his legacy after four years of running America's third largest state. 
I traveled to Miami to catch up with Matthew Tiermund, a journalist who has known DeSantis since 2014. I 100% believe he is going to run in 2024. Now, I have known him since he was a House member and a, a great Freedom Caucus legislator, you know, watching him come up in politics, sponsoring, co-sponsoring, lead sponsoring the right bills, worked on some bills with him on uh, pension and federal bonus transparency. He was all about fiscal transparency, which is an issue I care about and I'm active in. Standing on Matthew's balcony on the 31st floor of his apartment block, we looked over Miami's dramatic skyline, full of palm trees, white high-rise buildings and busy highways. You could tell meeting Ron even early in his congressional career that he has been planning to move up the political ranks. He went into the military and into the JAG where he was embedded with the U.S. Navy SEALs as a lawyer. Uh, So he's been a successful lawyer. He's been a successful military man at a high intellectual level. He was a successful legislator, as as I mentioned, in the Freedom Caucus, really fighting for the sovereignty and the the sort of populist, nationalist, conservative uh, uh, ideas and ideology that has been really the heart of the American right wing and where it's moved with economic nationalism, for instance, since 2015 and 16 with Bannon and Trump. He is now the most successful governor not just in the country now, but probably in the modern age. He literally bucked the trend of every other governor, Republican or Dem, establishment or anti-establishment. Every single one hewed to the same line on COVID. And he took the variant track. And Florida has thrived. It's the number one net in-migration state when you've got sort of Dem establishment states like California and Illinois absolutely uh, getting crushed by their own bad policies, absolutely divorced from what the people on the ground need. Those people are fleeing. They're coming to Florida. They're coming to Miami. Historically, Florida has been a swing state. However, in recent years, Republicans have come to outnumber Democrats here, partly because of the migration of conservatives from liberal states like California and New York. Will Witt is a dashing young journalist who recently moved from Los Angeles to the Tampa Bay area. We met at his lakeside bungalow in one of Tampa's gated suburban communities, Sitting on his wooden front porch, we were surrounded by drooping vines and listened to the sounds of the swamp. So, Will, why did you move to Florida? I moved to Florida because I couldn't stand living in California anymore. When you see what was happening in California with the rising inflation, when you saw how horrible the roads were, you saw the homelessness, you saw the price of living, there was just no reason for me to stay anymore. Dennis Prager, who was my old boss, he used to say that America was the last best hope for the world. And I've come out here to Florida and say, well, Florida's the last best hope for America. Florida has flipped voting records, and now we have 250,000 more registered Republicans in the state than Democrats, which is never before seen here in the state of Florida. What is it about Florida specifically, other than meeting lots of conservative friends and allies, that's so attractive? Santos's leadership and what he's done in this state, I think that what's different about him than other Republican governors or Republican politicians, regardless across the country, is that he knows how to use political power to get things done for the people of his state. So was it coronavirus that really made DeSantis stand out as a politician for you? I think so. Yeah, I mean, before that, I mean, he had gotten the Trump endorsement and stuff like that. And But even then, people didn't still really know about DeSantis all that much. They just thought, oh, another Republican who won governor. It was the COVID stuff that set him apart. Because you had a lot of Republican states and even Republican counties who were just going along with the science, you know, the experts. DeSantis did none of that. So now 
you can look across the country and you'll see all these Republican governors who are doing things, uh, whether it has to do with COVID, whether it has to do with the economy or illegal immigration, whatever it is. And they see if DeSantis has done it first and then they do it. Let's head back to Tallahassee, where I met with DeSantis's prayer leader, Pam Olson, who you heard at the beginning of the episode. Walking down a long corridor lined with portraits of Florida's previous governors, Pam took me through a history of her time praying with the state's leaders. Well, yeah, I prayed with him, but I, you know, this is who I started with. So, yeah, I prayed with him, prayed with him. Jeb was a good friend. I prayed with him. And if you see in Jeb's picture, what's interesting, he's got a Bible. When we arrived at the last portrait, which featured Florida's most recent previous governor, Rick Scott, we reached Ron DeSantis' office. There, I asked Pam to explain her religious perspective to a British audience. Well, you know, with the the, the Brit, <laughs> I told you that I went into the House of Parliament and the House of Lords and prayed. And I don't know if you've been in there, but it says, you know, it has a scripture on the 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 uh, in between your House of Parliament and House of Lords. And I think it says, "Unless the Lords builds the house, those that labour build it in vain." You guys were founded on very similar principles to the United States. And it was people from your country, uh, ancestors of mine, that came over. And, and you know, have we thought about where we've come from as a country, whether it's, it's the UK or the United States? And we were founded on bended knee by people who wanted religious freedom, but also dedicated our country um, to the ways of the Lord for his purposes. We have always been a country that believes in freedom. People can choose God or not, just like in your country or anywhere else, because God gives us freedom to choose him or not. And so in our, our country, there is a large group of people, including in government in Washington right now, trying to shut the mouths of people of faith, trying to marginalize us, trying to say, if you don't bend our woke ideologies and you don't bow, whether it's this group and this thing, whether, you know, you have to be pro-abortion, you have to be pro-LGBT, you have to be pro-everything that we are, or you need to shut up. Not on my watch. That's how I feel wholeheartedly. Like I said, I have 12 children. It matters that we stand up because you know what? All of us have the right to be heard. They have the right to be heard, absolutely. But their rights don't trump our rights. So I think um, it matters that who wins elections. Um, we've politicized things way too much. My heart is for godly government that lines up with the principles of life, Israel, and standing for parents' rights and the children. The children, it matters. And right now we're, we're definitely in a clash. After leaving the governor's office, we took a lift up to the public gallery overlooking the state Senate. The room was laid out much like Congresses in Washington, D.C., with legislators sitting in a semicircle, looking towards the speaker in the centre of the room. Here I asked Pam what makes Ron DeSantis special as a politician. I've had the opportunity to pray with him, with our first lady, pray with our lieutenant governor and her husband and the leaders, their parents. He's amazing. He is strongly pro-life, pro-Israel, pro-children, pro-family rights. These are things that matter to me. And if you're watching him right now in the middle of the hurricane and what's happened, the response has been 
magnificent in trying to help those on the ground that are hurting. This isn't a political thing. This is, I care about the people, the children, the families. That's who he is, that's who he's always been, and that's who he will be. And that's why I back him as governor. One of Ron DeSantis' most controversial acts as governor was signing into law the Parental Rights in Education Bill, dubbed by his enemies as the Don't Say Gay Bill. The legislation banned teachers from discussing sexual orientation and gender identity with children aged between five and eight years old. Pam and I walked into the marble-clad open space separating Florida's Congress and Senate. So you were mentioning that this is the place where the students came to protest these yes. people don't say gay Yes, mm-hmm. they, they did stuff outside and inside and then here during session when the bill was being passed, which was a good bill to protect parents' rights and the students, it didn't even use the word gay. It had nothing to do with don't say gay at all. But they stood here and protested. And I talked to a lot of them and many of them hadn't read the bill. They just came because they wanted to come and be part of a happening is what we used to call it in the old days, but to be part of something. And then some of them came because they'd mattered. But, but the reality was they were very, it was, it was pretty disruptive, I think. But, you know, I talked to a lot of the students and tried to help them stop and think a minute. What you're saying isn't true. That, that this bill is a good bill. I'm a parent. I have 12 grandchildren so far, ages 10 down to seven months. And I care what happens in school in talking to children and parental rights. And this bill was a parental rights bill too, but to protect the children. And our legislators did a great job and our governor in standing up for the rights of parents to educate and to be involved in their students' lives and what happens at the schools. We should not be doing sex education of stuff in these little grades and especially an ideology pushing things that's just not right for young children. And that's what it was about. It wasn't what people tried to make it out to be and to attack our governor and leaders. It's not just through legislation that Ron DeSantis has attempted to fight woke indoctrination in schools. In Florida, residents have the right to vote for their local school board representatives. These representatives, who are usually parents, have oversight over the budgets and curriculums of schools in their district. In recent years, these elections have become highly politicised. To explain why, I caught up with Bridget Zeigler, a school board member who was endorsed by DeSantis. In Bridget's home in Sarasota County, we sat in an elegant living room featuring traditional decor. In one corner, a shiny black grand piano blocked the view of an indoor swimming pool. Bridget's long blonde hair was contrasted by her dark blue dress. She looked professional and composed as we sat down for our interview. Can you give me some examples of what's being taught in these schools that's so egregious? Academia has always been more liberal, more progressive-minded, and that's for decades, um, particularly higher education institutions. I think there's always been a focus there, but there was this element in thinking, you no know, K-12, meaning you know, kindergarten through you know, high school, is still safe. Um, but over some time, you and there was undertones of I, I call progressive, you know, more of these social agendas that were pushing in, but they're subtle, and that still continues today. But when you started to see you know, more of the progressive social identity politics agenda. So I'll start with just the LGBTQ um, aspect and under the guise of, 
you know, tolerance and acceptance. And I will say, I don't care what subpopulation or what category anyone puts themselves in, whether it be race, whether it be identity, whether it be ethnic background, I don't, however anyone wants to classify themselves, uh, everyone in everywhere, but in particular in an education institution, in a public education institution, whether you're a member of staff or a student or family, that environment should be free from harassment or bullying or any kind of discrimination. And that's across the board. That should be an expectation. And that's how you build a strong culture and invite a learning environment that each unique ability allows the child to thrive. And we're able to respond to that. But what's happened is this element of emotion uh, that you can't talk about things because if you push back, and I'll just use the LGBT, the ge- and it's really, it's gender ideology. They just use the LGBT flag to um, promote this extreme ideology. And because it's uh, you're not allowed, I mean, we've all been trained, you're not allowed to question or push back because automatically you'll be called a bigot or a homophobic or whatever, all the different things. And it has worked. It's caused people to, uh, you know, to be to be quiet. I mean, it's literally beaten people into submission where they won't speak out even though they would see things that are questionable. And I think before there were a lot of families were like, eh, it's, you know, what's the harm? It's not that bad because it's just subtle or it's just one thing. And hey, I have the opportunity to have a conversation with my child. And I think that's where most of us always saw it. But what's been happening and it's become more aggressive that I've seen over the last three to four years, it's gotten substantially more aggressive, is it's a constant trickle and it's introduced very early. So it's subtle. Back when I was going to school, you would have a piece of paper and it would say name and date. Harmless. Well, and that's as early as kindergarten. You're learning how to write your name. You're learning how to identify the date. Well, now many, you know, a lot of the supplemental material will have pronoun, name, and date. And so you're introducing this to a five-year-old very early on. And it's, well, what's a pronoun? There is a number of different library books that we've talked about, gender queer being one of the most egregious that we've found in Sarasota, I have been told it does not exist, but I know in many, many other counties in the state of Florida. And if you look that up, um, most places can't even print it or showcase it on their website because it would violate FEC regulations or be deemed pornographic. And on top of that, you're seeing these institutions with the support of special interest groups create more and more barriers so parents don't have access to this information or don't know that. So they don't even have the opportunity to have that conversation with their child and talk through it. And so it's creating a separation and a division between minor children and their parents. And it's always under the guise of school is the safe place. You can tell us what's happening here, even if your parents don't understand you. So let's be really clear about what we're talking about. So these conversations that children are having with people within the schools rather than with their parents are about gender transitioning. I, I assume that's what you're talking right. about. Right. So what you can choose, you, you know, if you don't, if you were born a girl, doesn't necessarily mean, I mean, there are trainings that explain that the doctor could have been wrong, that there is not necessarily just a boy or a girl because you came out. It's, so that's what they're teaching children. Mm-hmm. It's not teachers. The mass majority of teachers have no interest in doing this. I mean, it's a calling if you're a teacher. All the while, there has been a new generation that they're training you know, new line of educators in this more indoctrinated, very progressive aspect. You think like libs of TikTok, you see those younger teachers that are training like kindergartners and such. Bridget is just one of many parents who have taken to standing for school board elections. I met up with another parent who used to be on her local school board. Tiffany Justice organises a nationwide educational campaign for parental rights. Sitting in a playground in Vero Beach, 
I asked Justice why she set up her group, Moms for Liberty. Can you explain why you founded Moms for Liberty? Sure. Uh, I've served as a school board member for four years in the community where my kids go to public school. And um, I I said I I pack a lot of backpacks. (laughs) It gave me a really unique perspective as a parent. Um, And then uh, I got to serve on school board. And I got to see kind of behind the education curtain. And Tina Deskovich, the other co-founder of Moms for Liberty, um, also mom who served on school board. Um, Just really interesting to learn more about the education system and to see the root of some of the issues uh, that we're seeing that are really hurting our country and and how it's really starting in that K through 12 space. So what actually is going on in schools in Florida that's really concerned you as a parent? So it's, it's bigger than just Florida. It's really the entire nation, to be honest. But what we're seeing is the fact that there is a culture war happening in America. And um, the progressive far left have really made uh, America's public schools and our our education system, higher ed as well, into the battleground uh, for that culture war. And our children are caught in the middle and moms and dads are done with that. Uh, Our children are not pawns. uh, And these are our children, not the government's children. And so uh, parents are, are firmly inserting themselves back into the arena of public education. And we are making sure that the government and the state knows uh, that they do not have a claim to our children. How has the governor, Ron DeSantis, got involved in these school board elections in Florida? He decided to endorse in local school board elections. And I think that's because he saw how important they were. Florida in 2021 passed a parents' bill of rights that very clearly said and recognized that parents have a fundamental right to direct the upbringing of their children. That's their education, their medical care. And what I mean by fundamental right is that that's a right that is not given to you by the government and cannot be taken away. If you're a religious person, perhaps that's God or nature's God, but a fundamental right, something that the government does not grant you. And so Ron DeSantis saw that parental rights were being ignored, uh, and he has stepped in to help to show who the candidates are, who are parental rights champions at that very most local level. And it was remarkable that he did it. It was a risk, to be honest with you. Uh, Not many governors get involved in local politics like that, but we were thrilled to see him get involved in that way. For DeSantis to win his re-election, he will need the support of the Hispanic community in Florida. Miami is one of the only major cities in America with a Republican mayor. Hundreds of thousands of Hispanics have fled to the city, away from communism and poverty, across Central and Southern America. In Miami's Little Havana, Cuban dissidents have attempted to recreate a taste of their homeland, knowing they are likely never to return. In a bar stinking of cigar smoke, I met up with some Cubans, whose families have been persecuted by Castro's regime. The walls were covered with bright art, featuring violent cockfights and maps of the communist island. I started by speaking with Armando, a well-built man in a grey suit who heads up Miami's Young Republicans. Can you just tell us a little bit about your background and who you are? My parents fled communism. They escaped from him. My, my father was a political prisoner. And so, you know, I was raised and live in, in a city of, of people who escaped communism and socialism and really understand its destructive effects. Why do you think that Miami is one of the only cities or major cities in America with a Republican mayor? Well, we have uh, more than a million people in Miami that fled socialism and communism in Cuba, in Venezuela, in Nicaragua, people that fled communist guerrillas in South America, like in Colombia. And so 
they really value freedom. They've seen what the consequences are of electing or of allowing left-wing demagogues uh, into power. Um, and they're really worried uh, about that type of, of nefarious leftist uh, influence coming to America. In terms of Ron DeSantis, how do you think that Cuban-Americans and other people who fled communist countries, what do they think of the governor here? Oh, well, our community uh, is very supportive, loves the governor. One, because he's t- taken a strong stance to protect businesses during COVID from shutting down. To He fought back against the excesses of an overbearing government. He's done a great job in calling balls and strikes and fighting back against the interference and intervention of the left. During my chat with Armando, my second interviewee arrived at the bar. Rosa Maria wore a black shirt to match her dark hair and eyes. Unlike Armando, she has only been in America for a few years and had to learn English quickly. I asked her to explain her story. So tell me about your story. Why did you come to Miami? Well, my family moved to Miami in 2013 out of harassment of the regime, the same regime that killed my father a year before, in 2012. And then I started to harass my brothers, and we, as a family in my house, we started to receive phone calls from the state security saying, some of a bitch, I'm going to kill you. Uh, so my mother decided to move the family. My father was the leader of the opposition. In the late 80s, he created a movement, was a citizen a platform with the idea of promoting the demands for basic human rights and uh, ultimately changing the system towards democracy. He led the most important, I believe, uh, uh, for sure the largest organized civil society movement to uh, guarantee human rights in Cuba. And the Varela Project was, a, was an initiative of law uh, in the middle of a totalitarian regime. Um, he wrote a bill uh, to change the law and guarantee freedom of expression, freedom of, of association, the liberation of the political prisoners, economic freedoms, and uh, reform in the electoral law to be able to have free, fair, multi-party elections. Uh, that was a very bold idea in the middle of communism. Uh, Fidel Castro saw that he would never collect the amount of signatures that were required in the law to, for, the, for the initiative of law to become a bill. That number was 10,000. The Varela project collected tens of thousands of signatures in a moment in which having a cell phone in Cuba was a crime. Many of them were sent to jail, and even under those conditions, tens of thousands of Cubans put their name, their ID numbers, their address in a paper to tell the Castro regime, we want our rights. The reaction of Fidel Castro was um, violating his own law to deny that right to the Cuban citizens. He killed my father. Do you think that people appreciate the threat that communism poses to people here in America or all around the world? If we're talking about the Cuban community, for sure. If we are talking about the people of the United States, I think that there is a lot of 
misconceptions, and especially young people, are ignorant regarding the importance of promoting freedom and the truth about the crimes of the communist regimes. But I was personally involved in promoting um, for the public schools to teach about the crimes of communism, not only in Cuba, but in the rest of the world, and the threat that it poses to freedom, stability, and prosperity in the whole world, but also here in the States. And I was glad that Governor DeSantis actually signed it. And I hope that the rest of the States will pass similar laws. Opinion polls put DeSantis firmly ahead of his Democratic rival in the race for governor. If, as seems likely, he is re-elected, his next political fight could be for the Republican nomination for the 2024 presidential election campaign. His only problem? Donald Trump. To discuss the two most popular choices among Republican voters for president, I sat down with the historian Al Felsenberg. In his apartment in Palm Beach, we were surrounded by beaming pictures of Al shaking hands with former presidents, from Richard Nixon to Ronald Reagan. Al, who is in his early 70s, looked as if he was wearing his Sunday best, donning a dark suit and maroon tie. Do you think there's any real ideological difference between Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis? No. I would say there are two Ron DeSantis's. If we hear a national campaign starting, you'll hear the other one uh, come out as well as the one we're reading about. On one end, there is this, I won't call them stunts, but they're attention-getting devices to advance a program that he has. You've seen about the flying of the immigrants to Martha's Vineyard, the war with Disney. I mean, these are all things that make great headlines. But then there's the policy monk, and I'll give you an example. There's DeSantis, uh, the environmentalist. What did he do his first year? He wasn't doing what I just described. He's poured a lot of resources into Lake Okeechobee and a lot of resources uh, into saving the Everglades. He got two reservoirs out of Donald Trump. The kind of things a centrist or even a a Clinton kind of Democrat might have tried to do. He used his closest to the president to help the people of Florida. He talked about increasing the reading scores of of schools and and, and increasing the salaries of public teachers. Did all that. This kind of started midway in, in Trump's term when he realized that we don't know where the future of the party is going. And uh, we don't have an obvious heir, whether Trump would have two terms or one. And to be very, you know, candid with you, he's the only governor anyone in America can identify and have heard of. If Trump does not run for president, I don't see a challenger to him. Uh, you have to say DeSantis is the top of the pack, clearly the front runner. Though Florida is DeSantis' state, Donald Trump still has his loyalists here. Anna Paulina Luna is running for Congress for the Republicans in Tampa. Known as the GOP's answer to the young Democratic Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Anna still favours President Trump to run in 2024. There are many comparisons to be made between Anna and AOC. Both are good-looking young Hispanic women, passionate about politics. Walking along an archetypal Florida beachfront with palm trees and skateboarders, we discussed the upcoming midterm elections. Are you a typical Republican? No, absolutely not. I think um, a lot of my perspective is not what you would... I mean, I'm wearing Vans. (laughs) 
<laughs> I think that that's a lot different from your typical Politico, but I'm okay with that. That's, I think, why I'm able to target such a different audience. I have a upwards of 70% favorability with the younger generation, I think largely in part because of social media, and I'm so active on it. How has Ron DeSantis helped you? I mean, do people like the governor here, and is that sort of influencing your oh, race? Oh, 100%. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but Governor Ron DeSantis co-founded the House Freedom Caucus. I'm also endorsed by the House Freedom Caucus, and I intend on joining them. But more importantly, Governor DeSantis was also too endorsed and vetted by President Trump, who also endorsed and vetted me as well. And so I think a lot of people are really excited about DeSantis. They're really excited about what he said, especially, you know, he kept our state open when so many people around the country were advocating for us to shut down as a country because of COVID-19. It's interesting you mentioned Trump and DeSantis. So you've got an endorsement from Trump. And when we're looking at the Republican Party today, there are some people who say, well, these are the two rival figures for the 2024 presidential election. What do you make of that rivalry between Trump and DeSantis? Do you see the Republicans as being divided in that way? No. In fact, I think a lot of people, what we're seeing is national polling is showing over 70 percent of Republicans, especially with the unjust raid on Mar-a-Lago by the FBI, would literally walk over glass for President Trump. A lot of these people may have been people before that had been, you know, well, maybe on the border, but they love President Trump. I love them. And I can tell you that I've heard those rumors, but only being pushed by people that were never Trumpers. So I think Governor DeSantis has an insane amount of respect for President Trump. I know I respect both of them. And I think that Trump will run in 2024. And I hope to see DeSantis run in 2028. Others are less supportive of Donald Trump. Back in Miami, I asked Matt who he thinks should run for president in 2024 for the GOP. Trump is so fixated on 2020, he's lost his own lead, L-E-E-D-E, like, you know, when you say the lead in a news story, it's all about him still. And I think that's coming across. You know, I think his best days are behind him. uh, And I think he can help with the Republican populist nationalist conservative movement. He can help DeSantis. He can help fill the down ballot and be successful in recruiting candidates, supporting him, endorsing him and helping drag him over the line. Uh, Because he does have a strength of personality. He is a larger than life figure. I'm from New York. I watched his whole career, his real estate career from the 80s. I, you know, watched this character, the modern day P.T. Barnum, who broke up the establishment left and right in 16, came out of nowhere and really pulled back the curtain on their uh, chicanery through his cult of personality, his force of personality, his modern-day showmanship, this modern-day P.T. Barnum figure. And DeSantis may not have that, but he has something that I think is ultimately more important. On the right, we're not about celebrity and cult of personality. We're about getting things done that hew to our policy and philosophical ideals. As a legislator, as a lawyer, as a SEAL, as a governor, his track record speaks for itself. It is superlative, and it's so in variance to the establishments right and left that we saw during COVID that he stands out so much for it. I wondered whether DeSantis has what it takes to be president. Al is no stranger to historical American leaders. Do you think that you could compare DeSantis to some historical presidents who, before they became presidents, so you could look at Nixon or Reagan? He reminds me a little bit of Governor Reagan. When Reagan came in in California, he did call his friend Bill Buckley and some other people. And he said, can you get me some really good speechwriters? Can you get me an economist? Can you get me somebody who understands how to deal with the problems of Berkeley, which was then blowing up everywhere? Can you get me someone to help me with crime? And DeSantis is doing the same thing, I'm told. Most of our successful presidents have been governors or generals. And uh, the one that comes to mind is Teddy Roosevelt. He had pizzazz. He had charisma. And I'll say he was prone to a great deal, many of stunts, which he's been accused of having stunts. Uh, Stunts got him name recognition. You know, he just charmed the press all through the Spanish-American War. Yes, he was a hero. 
Yes, he was prepared to die. Yes, he was injured a few times. But we've had a series of elderly candidates, and we've had two presidents now in their 70s. So uh, I, I always tell my students, look for the opposite of what you have. So after Eisenhower, you know, stolid, solid and boring, you have Kennedy, the first Hollywood president. And, you know, after Carter, uh, you have Reagan. And after Saturday night, Bill, you had Sunday morning, George Bush. All right. So you have two presidents in a row who are in their 70s and you have a president in their 40s with energy uh, who's articulate and plugged into the conservative network, the base of his party, with a couple of things that appeal to moderates. I, 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 I do think so. So far, DeSantis has managed to unite both ends of the Republican Party from those less supportive of Donald Trump like Matt, to those who still stick by the former president like Anna. Going into 2024, this balancing act may become harder, especially if Trump decides to run. For now, DeSantis will continue to act as a model politician for those on the right, willing to use the law to fight the culture wars, not caring what the media or celebrities think of him, and showing a level of competence and composure conservatives in Britain could only dream of. Next time. Do you think that the police here in New York have ever been more hated? During my career, no. This is the worst I've ever seen. Violent crime is surging in New York City. A random man on a bike, like, punched me in the face. And I was, like, bleeding everywhere. Let me go back home. I don't want to be here. I'm here to find out why. Derek Chauvin has done more to destroy policing in this country than I think in any single event in my life. I'll be speaking with the NYPD. Do you feel people respect the police here in the Bronx? Today's day and age, absolutely not. And those who want to defund them. You actually want to abolish the police? Yeah. Defund the police? No, I agree with that. I'll also be asking whether the Republicans have a shot at winning the governorship for the first time in nearly 20 years. It could possibly see a Republican governor, which would be the biggest election in the country this year. Is New York City safe? Should we defund the police? And who is to blame for this surge in violence? You've been listening to The Red Wave with me, Stephen Edgington, for The Telegraph. It's produced by Tom Heal, with additional production and sound design by Elliot Lampitt. The executive producer is Louisa Wells, and the commissioning editor is Tom Welsh. Follow this feed on your podcast app to make sure you don't miss an episode. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.